We gather as people dispersed to worship God. Today we remember how Jesus suffered and died for us, and to thank God for his love and his mercy. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before God like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. First word from Luke chapter 23 verses 33 and 34. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing and they cast lots to divide his clothing. Here ends the reading. It's part of the human condition. How quick we are to blame others. As children, it goes like this. It's not my fault. Quickly moving to blame our brother or sister. As teenagers, we blame our teachers for their unfairness, our friends who perhaps led us down the wrong and stupid path, our parents for their discipline that stifles us. And as adults, we blame those in authority, the man, our boss, coworkers, the government. We even go so far to blame our neighbor the one Jesus tells us we should love as much as we love ourselves. We have this blame game down to an art form. Who's to blame? They. They did it. They crucified Jesus. They put him on the cross. It was the Romans. No, Caiaphas. It was Pilate. It was the Pharisees. Judas, it was the Jews. They crucified Jesus. But then let's look at Jesus. Tried without an ounce of justice, painfully nailed to a cross, suffering for the sake of others. Who does he blame? Now, if we are honest with ourselves, if we place ourselves in Jesus's shoes, how would we feel after being unjustly accused? 
left to suffer for the sake of others. I believe in reality, we'd probably feel some fear and most certainly rage. Who could we blame? But not Jesus. As he hangs in agony on the cross with criminals on his left and right, he prays to God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The fear is gone. There is no ounce of outrage in his being. Instead, Jesus offers they who are crucifying him, the we who have crucified him, he offers them forgiveness. What wondrous love is this? Gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter, verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is a statement. It is a promise. And it has been a comfort to millions of people. It also is, importantly, the response to a prayer. A prayer that was very close to Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, two criminals were crucified with him, one on his left and the other on his right. One mocked him, saying, If you're some sort of Messiah, if you're the Christ, the Chosen One, save yourself and save us. Get us out of this horrifying mess. The first criminal pleads to Jesus, Take away this situation. 
Get us out of it. The second criminal rejects this line of thinking, saying, don't you respect God? Can't you see? We're under the same punishment, and we are getting what we deserve. But Jesus is being killed by the state unjustly. He's done nothing wrong. We're not getting out of this. So Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is the prayer that Jesus responds to by saying, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus promises to be with this criminal who asks for Jesus' presence. In the middle of Jesus' last breaths, while he is dying, in the darkest day, the most frightening time, Jesus promises to be with those near him. Jesus does not promise that he will get these men out of this awful situation they are in. He promises that those who recognize him will be with the presence of Christ. Jesus does not promise to get them out of this situation. What is your prayer today? Is it to take you out of the scary, terrifying situation you are in? Or is it also for Jesus to remember you, to be with you, to give you strength? Strength to hope, to live in paradise, to live in the garden with the Christ who gave his life. We know that we are in a world of pain. Right now we are in a very frightening world. Living as a Christian does not mean that we are immune from pain and fear or even the experience of death. Yet living as a Christian also means that we live lives of hope. We live lives trusting in the promise of Christ, a promise given from the cross, that death is not the end of the story. It is in that moment of the crucifixion that we understand Christ's presence most profoundly, most truly. Christ is with us in our pain. Christ is with us in our fear because of the cross, which shows us Christ knew the most excruciating pain. We know that Christ is present in our fear and pain because of the cross. We turn to the cross praying together through our fear and pain and grief. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds, in love, in hope, in grace and mercy. Truly I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise.
Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. John 19, 25 to 27. At the end, less than a handful remain with Jesus. They stand near the foot of the cross, offering their presence and bearing witness to his suffering and death. Their gift is their presence. They do not run away. They do not flee. They do not turn aside their faces. Two of these faithful disciples, Jesus speaks to them. John identifies them not by their names, but by their relationship to Jesus, mother, and the one whom he loved. At the end, what matters most is their relationship to the crucified one. In his words, Jesus gives them new relationships. Here is your son. Here is your mother. Jesus' short words establish a new family, the family of believers. Jesus speaks these new relationships into being. Jesus speaks the command that we care for one another. At the end of his life, Jesus' concern is for those gathered, that they be cared for, that in their grieving, they have people to turn to. From that hour, the disciple took Jesus' mother, now regarded as his own mother, into his home. She would not be alone in her grieving. In this time of sheltering in place, I have heard stories of people taking others into their homes. A friend of mine who usually lives alone is sheltering with their best friend's parents. Here is your child. Here are your parents. I hear stories of divorced parents sheltering together so that the children can be with all their caring adults. I hear of neighbors creating households out of two homes, including the elderly neighbor next door in their meals and their errands. Grief and fear could drive us from one another or in this time, we can forge new relationships, deep ways of caring, and new ways of looking after one another. These faithful women and the beloved disciple, they followed Jesus all the way to the cross, 
all the way to death. They did not turn away in the time of suffering. They did not look away from his death. And at the end, in the midst of his own suffering, Jesus provided for them by giving them people to care for and to care for them a new family. We who follow Jesus can expect no less that in this time of suffering, Jesus will give us people to care for, to care about, and people who will care for and care about us. Behold, your mother, your son, your new family. Near the cross.
as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so it was in that moment, when he had been made to be sin for the world, that Jesus cried out in anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, it was as if God had turned away his hand of mercy and passed judgment on the sin of humanity that was now upon Jesus. In that moment, Christ was forsaken and alone. But ultimately, these words also remind us that Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday was raised by God from the dead. Jesus was vindicated. His life and death were proven to be faithful and obedient to God, and God raised him from the dead. If Christ was forsaken in that moment on the cross, it was God sacrificing himself so that he might reconcile and heal the sin-sick world. As Martin Luther said, God forsaken by God. Who can understand that? But God did this out of love for the whole world. God did this out of love for you and for me. In closing, because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we have the promise that in him we will never be separated or forsaken by God, whether by sin or illness or war or hunger or death. As Jesus told us later, remember, in life and in death and beyond, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The fourth word from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. John 19, 28. I am thirsty. After a long distance run on a warm day, there is nothing I want more than a cold drink. After a day of outdoor chores, there is nothing I want more than a cold drink. And when I sit with the dying and with their family around a bedside, family members and friends and caregivers offer sips of cool water from a sponge or ice chips to ease the thirst. I am thirsty, Jesus cried out. What does Jesus long for? Is he asking for a drink of cold water? 
he received sour wine instead. What does Jesus long for? This is the one who said, everyone who drinks water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water I will give them will never be thirsty. What does Jesus long for? This is the one who said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What does Jesus long for? This is the one who said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. Certainly Jesus' tongue is dry, his throat is parched, his lips are cracked. He longs for water, but he longs for more than water. And what sustenance do we seek in our hour of need? Do we turn to the physical things? To water and toilet paper and Lysol wipes? These are necessary to wet the tongue and clean the body and our homes. But they do not fill our deepest needs. They cannot. These are the thirsts and the desires of the body. They are important, but they do not fulfill our deepest thirsts, our longing for righteousness. They do not fulfill our deepest needs, the longings of the soul. The one who meets our spirit's needs is the one on the cross. His thirst is for water and righteousness. Our thirst is for Christ. We turn to the cross. We turn to the one upon the cross. We turn to Christ, the one who gives us living water. The sixth word from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 29 and 30. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, 
it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Giving up one's spirit. Do you have an inkling of that feeling? I know I do. Perhaps you've found yourself in this situation. You are at the end of your rope. You've offered all you can. You have put your heart and soul into it, but it just does not seem like it will ever be enough. And now you're done. You've had it. You are washing your hands of it. You want to be finished and you simply want to be released from it. Maybe in our instances, it goes like this. We just want a nap. We want to tune out for a while, or we want to go home away from it all, or we want a vacation. We want to be finished. So when we hear Jesus's words on the cross, it is finished. Maybe we have an inkling, a little bit of feeling what this might be like to be at the end of his rope. But in Jesus's case, he's been in agony, thinking, can this please be over? So is there some relief in his words? Does he feel exhausted? Does he want to check out, be done? Jesus says, it is finished. But I think Jesus's words go beyond that because you and I know it is not finished. There is more to come. The strife is over, yes, but finished? I don't know. To me, it seems like it is accomplished because we know in a few days, the agony of the cross is going to become the victory over death and the grave. That is why Jesus's cry is not one of defeat, frustration, but one of triumph. It is accomplished. On that cross, Jesus came to complete the work he would do. And he accomplished that. It is finished. It is accomplished for the sake of us all. But just wait for the glory to come.
from the 23rd chapter of Luke. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said that, he breathed his last. Jesus makes a promise, a commitment, a hope that we all make. A promise that we make every day since the Spirit came to us in baptism, since we've been called forward in baptism to live as God's people, reaching out into the world. Every day, starting, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. A hope that goes through life, into difficult times, into worrisome times. In our present pandemic, when breath is hard to find for those who suffer from the COVID virus, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. This word goes back to the beginning, the beginning of humankind. When the story as we have it in Genesis talks about God bending over like a mammy bending over her baby and breathing into that clay doll that he had made right there on the riverbank. And she breathed into that baby the breath of life. From that time on, the breath of life is our spirit. It's what guides us. It's what holds us together. It's what gives us life every day because it is the breath of the living God. Jesus gave his presence to the Spirit of God. From his baptism, walking through his ministry, reaching out to heal, to preach, to give life, walking into Jerusalem knowing the risk he was taking, walking in with faith that within him was, lived the Spirit of God. That Spirit took him through a betrayal, through a trial, through a scourging, through a planting of thorns on his head, that spirit stayed in and with him onto the cross until the moment comes when he's going to give himself up, when the breath is just about gone, when he will die. Father, into thy hands I give my spirit is a hopeful word because the Spirit lives and goes to the care of God. That Genesis story makes it clear that if it weren't for the Spirit of God, we'd just be a lump of clay. And it offers hope that when we breathe our last, that when we're buried, that when we return to dust, we would once again just be dust, except the spirit of life, the spirit of God, raises us to new life, 
to new promise. Jesus says, Father, into thy hands I give my spirit, giving up a 33-year life, giving up a present ministry on earth, but giving the presence of God in him that makes him him to an eternity and a spirit that lives with us, that we might know that presence and trust that presence into eternity. Father, into thy hands we give our spirits. Mother God, bless us into forever. Amen. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. All we like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, although he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Lord God, you have given us everything. You have not held anything back. Help us in like manner to give of ourselves. Sanctify us in Christ's name. Bless us and all that we think, feel, say, and do, that we, like Jesus, may be a blessing unto others. We ask this and all things that we ask of you through him, saying the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. A reading from the 22nd Psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord, let him deliver. 
Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. From the horns of the wild oxen you have rescued me. I will tell your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. To him, indeed, shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. Hi, this is Pastor Anna Sorensen from French Creek Church in Ettrick, Wisconsin. You are listening to the audio-only version of the video of Good Friday Worship for 2020. The video can be found at our website at frenchcreeklutheran.org forward slash worship. 